You're listening to Retail Refined, a market scale podcast with me, Melissa Gonzalez. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Retail Refined, a market scale podcast with your host, me, Melissa Gonzalez. Today, we have an exciting guest, Tommy Kelly, who is the founder and CEO of eShop World, the global e-commerce technology and services partner chosen by some of the world's best loved apparel, beauty, footwear, and luxury brands to power their international expansion. Prior to eShop World, Tommy founded Two-Way Forwarding and Logistics, which he sold to Aramax in 2006, having grown it to a $100 million plus business. Subsequently, Tommy became CEO of Aramax, Europe and North America, before founding eShop World in 2010. Tommy, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you, Melissa, for having me on. Before we kick off, can you tell our audience a little bit more about eShop World? Well, effectively, eShop World is it's a platform, but not only a platform. The business of eShop is to take large brands international. And effectively, what we do is we localize the shopping experience in country, in region. Uh, really, what that means is it's not only providing the technology tools, but the, the strategy, the execution, and the platform. And in, in effect, what we see across all our brands is is that if you localize correctly, your incremental growth is quite dramatic. So if if you don't localize within a within a country or you pro- try to provide effectively a global solution that's not localized, it doesn't resonate well within these major markets that's available to large US brands to reach out globally. So this is an interesting conversation as we're seeing a big trend towards local living in COVID. How does eShop World help deliver a sense of local for brands entering new markets? What do you see has been the biggest and cons- most consistent challenges? Well, typically what we see is that every every country is different. And, and if you think of a US brand or a European brand wanting to go to different markets, like, you know, if, if we think of France versus Germany is different, you know, and that's within Europe. If you think of US versus you know, Asia versus Australia versus Russia. There's all nuances to each country. And in effect as well, shoppers like predictability. So if people are shopping, let it be in Russia, let it be in Australia, let it be in Europe, they want an experience that's truly familiar to them. So they want to understand what currency they're paying in. They want to understand the language that that they're browsing within. They want to understand the delivery type. So effectively, what we set out to do is to replicate or create the best in class in country experience. And we see really the conversion rate is dramatically different. If people are entering into an experience, an online experience, and it's not familiar, orders friction points within that typically they abandon. They will not, you know, they, they will not transact with brands that don't give them that best in class in country experience. Right. And so as we think of this world of living in COVID and, and shifting expectations of consumers, are there extra layers that you see that are needing to be accounted for now? Yeah, look, I think COVID has been a real accelerator of what is required digitally, right? So I, I think what we're seeing is we're seeing a broader demographic, age demographic of shopper. So, you know, what a 20 year old versus a 60 year old, 
expect is two different things. And I think, so you have to create an experience for all of your, all of your shopper and across all the demographics, right? So I think what we've seen one is a broader age demographic. And I think to that point as well, you know, we're seeing the older age demographic being a bigger spender and a more repeat and, and repeating a more repetitive shopper, right? I think the other thing we've seen as well with COVID, you know, it's down to, you know, buy online, pick up in store, buy online, you know, contact contactless delivery. So it, it, it has accelerated a lot of things that were maybe thought about or in train for a while. So COVID has really pushed, you know, we've seen probably a three, four X in demand online because I think there was, there was there was little or no options other than online for a lot of big brands. So I think that has accelerated number one, the the requirements to be better, faster, more efficient on how you manage a broader demographic online. And that goes from you know the online experience to the delivery experience, to the returns experience, to the engagement with online and offline. So it, it, it's an ecosystem. And I think the other key part of this as well is to understand what is the expectation by market and by demographic. I'm so glad you brought up, you know, the growth of BOPIS and contactless payments and 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 really the 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 blend that we're seeing of the online and offline world. How do you see you know, eShop world evolving and bridging that online offline world in the future, especially as, you know, as mentioned, we're living in more of this either drop ship or, or order ahead world. Yeah, I think that's a very good point. I, I, so let, I don't think anybody has really, in my opinion, worked out what is the future of physical retail, right? I think that's, that's evolving. Um, I think what we do know I think the brands that, you know, we've seen brands react quickly to change, but I, I, my opinion is, you know, you look at brands like Nike, LVMH, you know, a lot of the, the, the like, their stores have become more experiential type of, for, from, you know, they're, they're creating the experience in store and it may not be all about physical retail, right? So I think what we're seeing is a big push towards digital, what will physical retail represent in the future is a good question, right? So I think the whole Boppis, you know, and if you think of it by by region, whether you buy online, pick up in store, buy online, you know, d- deliver to, 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 you know, to lockers or to different facilities. I think what we are seeing though, for sure, is definitely that whole integration of having that integrated experience. So what, and I think, city versus urban versus rural will be different right so if you live in a city you know buy online pick up a store may be an option for you you know if you live urban you may want a type of different type of experience if you're a different age demographic you may not want to buy online and pick up in store so we're seeing all of these you know matrices appearing and i think what people have to be able to do or what brands need to be able to do is to be able to tailor the solution not only for a country but for you know whether it be city urban rural to be able to present to a shopper what is the best option for, for that region or, the, or, or, or that age demographic if that makes sense it's interesting because you know in the past especially as i think of you know our scope of work it's it's been such a big focus on you know 
Gen Z and millennial, but we're really seeing the demographic widen, you know, kind of as you spoke about. And I think of it's it's my mom shopping online. It's me shopping online. I mean, to be honest, my daughter would shop online. She could talk to Alexa and she's only five. So how do you see this kind of cross-generational adoption of online impacting business? You're absolutely right. I, I think what we're seeing is the, the, the biggest growth in in, in in the new online customer base is the older demographic, you know, and I think the, the other thing for brands, which is super important, that all of the demographic, in my, in my well, we're the surveys we're seeing and the, you know, our own data is telling us that, you know, the the, uh, the, the broader demographic and the older demographic is, is effectively more consistent shopper. They're a larger spend within the categories where, where they are shopping. And, you know, I, I would say, you know, what we'll see is, you know, we're probably seeing that rise going up by about 30 or 40%. We've, we've probably seen over a three month period, in some cases, the quantum of shopping, of the total number of shoppers going up by 40% in the, old, in the, in, in, in the older demographic. And how, how would you say, you know, your company helps improve customer lifetime value for, for your clients? Yeah, I, I, again, I, I think it, we've seen this sort of accelerated massively during COVID. But it, so for us, lifetime value is about one, as we spoke about earlier, having the right experience for the right region, for the demographic you're solving. For the, I think that's the first point. The second point, I think, is if... You and what we've seen happening during the, the the crisis as well is that it's about reaching out and having that you know relationship with the with the customer and the real winners and there's been a number of them during the, the during particularly during the crisis here we've seen that you know straight out of the traps they got engaged you know they got engaged with their client understand the challenges that COVID was presenting to the client. So for me, lifetime value is about, you know, that agility and and effectively that consistent engagement with the customer. If you think of companies like Nike, the way they reacted with their apps and whatever. So like the brands that are doing this well, I think are the, are the brands that are, have the engagement model i think the engagement model brings the lifetime value naturally you have to have the the, you know the the experience and all of the nuances of localization and all to have that experience good but if you have the good experience the right engagement that creates the the customer lifetime value in my opinion I, I love that you mention agility because I think agility is the key word of 2020 and beyond. Um, and I think that right now it's it's sta- table stakes, right? It's not an option not to be agile and it's something that has to be ingrained culturally as well. Um, and so in the past, you've seen so many companies kind of you know work in silos, right? Like marketing's not talking to merchandising and, and, and not talking to IT. And so how does, how does, how does your company help um, your clients become more agile as they're entering new markets. Yeah, I think that's a, a very good point. I think we're quite fortunate that we've been in the business for you know a, a reasonable period of time. So we had a lot of these call it localizations and the, the agility models within these markets, right? So I think big organizations that are trying to pivot quickly, they have a real challenge because you, you can pivot only yeah, and as we've seen the rollout now, we can only pivot at, at a certain speed. But ultimately, 
what we're seeing is a lot more agility required within one the increase i suppose in the, the online demand but secondly and that agility goes from as you spoke earlier about buy online pick up and store the different delivery models the different sort of payment types so really it's it's, it's a kind and you need to you need to be able to adapt and roll these models every three to six months because i think the pace of change in digital as we said earlier will is it, it, completely it's it's been revolutionized so what we've seen happening in maybe three to five years is happening in three to five months so there, there's a constant need for rapid change i think as we as it evolves and i think as we see you know what the new physical versus uh digital retail look as that emerges it, it, it's about having agility across multiple pillars of that experience from customer engagement to delivery to online versus offline and the whole ecosystem. So I think it's become very much a single ecosystem that you have to have as, an, as a customer engagement model, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. That's great. And and so if we think about a deployment, how, how long does it take to get a brand up and running? Really, I, like we have a very, uh, I suppose, agile from you know um, integration model, and that's from plugins to API integrations, and typically from an engagement to to yeah, you know, and I spoke earlier about advising the brand of the approach to integration to go live is typically a six to eight week model, but that gives them then a global sort of uh, avenue to to revenue so effectively that's not just that brings them across to the top 50 markets in the world right so it brings them to 200 countries but effectively there's probably 30 to 50 key markets that matter for brands and i think we really focus very heavily on those 30 to 50 markets and effectively it gives you access to all of those markets in a truly localized way and can, and can you tell us maybe a, a case study or a recent expansion that you did in its new market? What are the elements? What makes what makes those integrations or deployments successful? Well, like I, I we've seen, and I think we, we, we've published some of these stats, but we've seen growth rates of like, for example, Canada, 350% for some of our brands. Like we represent Calvin Klein in, in, in Canada and, and, you know, we've seen 350% year on year growth. Some brands we've seen 250. I think in some of our brands in Asia, we've seen 500% increase. So overall, we, we haven't seen any of our brands not having over 200% growth during the pandemic. So uh, I, think th- I think what drives that again is, back to the, some of the points we made earlier, really aggressive uh, approach to understanding the consumer demands reacting to, and reacting quickly to demand so i think it's the again there's a force mover advantage here i think if people that solve the problem quickly for the brands you know they have good market penetration and i think the third part is if, if people are promoting their brands in international markets unless they have the experience right they're not really maximizing their 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 marketing spend so i think it, i'll go back to the earlier piece. it's an ecosystem i think you need to have for the most part, all of your ecosystem coordinated and, 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 and effectively targeted at market-specific requirements. And I think that's where we come in as well. Like We don't just deliver a platform and say, there you go. We have a team 
that works with brand Prego Live. So it's about strategy for, for the most part at the beginning. It's about market positioning. It's about go live and it's about run. So really when we work with brands, it's a partnership. So really we're an extension of a brand. I think another key part of that is it's about knowledge. And it, it's very difficult for a lot of brands to understand exactly what's required in Malaysia versus Russia versus Australia. So I, I, I think you need data, number one, that you, you understand what you're solving for, and what those markets, you know, are actually performing like and what's the key i suppose drivers within the market in conjunction with the the ability to execute so i think technology is one piece i think physical infrastructure is one piece but also then the ability and the knowledge to execute is a key part of what we bring with two brands and work with brands i think the comment around ecosystem coordination is so important but also what you're mentioning about market position and market knowledge and you know, really understanding those nuances and understanding the cultural expectations and, you know, really making the customer feel like I'm dealing with a brand who's local to me, kind of as we talked about earlier in this conversation and the importance of that. So those are those are great points to bring on market position, market knowledge and and, and being able to go live. Um, as you as you are seeing the world evolve, um, what markets are you seeing having the most growth and the most interest well, we're seeing massive growth. I think with you know, and I, I leave out the U.S. because you know, typically you're familiar with the U.S. But I, I think we're seeing Canada, massive growth in Canada, Russia, Australia, uh, Malaysia, for Israel, massive growth down there. So I would take in the three areas. You know, you have probably four or five key markets in 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 Asia that's grown exponentially. You have the Australian market. You would have again. I said we're repeating. Europe is growing quite well, uh, but there's a few like we've seen a lot of markets and it has followed the pandemic a little piece as well. And it's trending a little bit with the pandemic, but we would see a lot of our markets growing by an average of 300 percent this year post pandemic. You know, we talked a lot in this conversation about um, kind of the growth of, of online and how it's spanning uh, different demographics and generations and the adoption of BOPIS and contactless payments. And I know you don't have a crystal ball, but the big question right now is, is where is this all going to normalize, right? Because we've seen tremendous growth and adoption of e-commerce and, and online shopping, but where, where is it going to all kind of land as we, as we enter 2021? I think it's a very good question. Like, we'd be comfortable uh, to predict that we'll see a consistent 100% year on year, you know, stabilizing at that and above, right? I think the other piece is physical retail. When Like a lot of the retailers that we're working with and speaking to, they don't see retail coming back to where it was. So if, if, if the expectation that retail will come back to say 30 or 40% of what it was before, you know, and the, the same level of demand is out there, you know, that would pivot like online up to two, three hundred percent consistently of, of growth because if it's not happening in the in, in the physical stores, you know y- y- you would believe or w- w- the trends we're seeing anyway is that the demand is still there. It's just how you fulfill the demand. And I think the question is: is that a one hundred or three hundred percent 
year over year growth. But uh, I I would predict that if, you know over the next twelve months we we'll see most of our brands averaging two hundred percent growth on on, on twenty nineteen figures. Right. Yes. 200% is definitely significant. And it, it all depends what base you're coming off of. You know, when we look at the U.S. market, we've typically been behind in adoption, right? As you compare us, you know, you talk about markets of, of growth in, in, in Asia and, and stuff. So it's going to be interesting to see how the U.S. evolves um, as it really thinks through the this online shopping uh, shift and how stores need to, to evolve to better serve its customers as a complement to these other channels. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think as you said earlier, it's, it, it, it's, it's across a much broader demographic of people. So you have a lot, like if you take a certain, you know, a lot of people, I have to speak on a number of surveys we've done, a lot of people have no interest in going back to a store. If you have to get your temperature taken, if you have to have sort of, if you have to have the ability to queue outside a store, if you if you're concerned about changing rooms, etc. So, you know, shopping was a pleasurable experience pre-COVID, right? Uh, but post-COVID, it's it, it, it's it's going to change. Human behavior has changed, and I don't think it will go back. That's my own opinion. Right, yes. I mean, when we think of store design and planning, kind of where we sit in the world and we work with our clients, it's, it's going to be different. And all, the decisions are going to have to be so much more purposely consumer-centric, right? When we think about brick and mortar, it's going to be okay, not how do I think of capacity per square foot when I'm thinking of merchandising and product on the floor? It's what problem am I solving? Or, you know, how is this one location? You talked about ecosystem a lot on this, on this, on this, uh, recording. Um, how, how does it fit in that ecosystem of all my channels, right? And what is the purpose that it solves and being really intentional about what's being delivered in a physical world and how it all works together. Um, it, it's going to be more important than ever before. Correct. Correct. I, I, I think you said earlier, it's a bit of experiential experience. You know, what, you go to a store for a specific reason, not necessarily to browse through 500 items you know what i mean i think and i think i think different brands will have different requirements so i think as you said earlier it won't be a one-size-fits-all it's but where it lands per brand yeah and what that should look like for a brand right so yes stores will exist but you know some will be harder than others to come back i think for example like um the slime museum while my daughter loves slime for sure and that's going to be a tougher environment for example i, I think it's going to be a tougher environment to come back to um while I, I do believe in physical there's definitely going to be a lot of a lot of shifts probably something you're going to lean into senses that are uh, less reliant on touch and more on on smell and sound and and, and other things <laughs> yeah yeah i think look at i think there's a new and i think also too is there's, there's also i, I think a, People are reflecting a little bit on, you know, around sustainability. You know, did, a lot of things I think will converge into what new the new retail will look like. Well, this has been a, a great conversation, um, and I think it segues into my last question. I've asked all of our guests, to, you know, as as we are able to travel, um, we do live in this, you know, a global. Uh, oriented world and we will be traveling again so you're sitting in in dublin and ireland um what are the top three things the must think must to do things on our list for when we're able to travel again 
Well, there's plenty of things to do in Ireland, and it's a it's a great place to visit. So I think for, from a Dublin perspective, I would just call out a few. I think if you haven't been to the Guinness Storehouse, Guinness have created a really good uh, visitor experience there. That, I think that's the first point. Uh, and the second one, I would say, maybe people aren't aware of this, but we've a massive part, Phoenix Park, we call it in Dublin. It's about twice the size of Central Park, and it holds the second oldest zoo in the world actually which is which is 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 probably not well known and then trinity college i think for there's we, we've a lot of history around dublin and around the country so i i'm specifically staying in dublin but i think trinity is a great and if you have time or if, if you're a distance of time there's loads of places to recommend killarney Kerry, you know and not donegal so really a great place to visit and quite accessible. Dublin's a good city. It's a bit of population of one million. It's walkable, loads of history, uh, loads of architecture and loads of museums. So always very welcome over here. Oh, those all sound great. And of course, I'm going to have to add golf probably to the list for my husband. So, um, and, lo- and we've about 20, uh, we've about 50 golf courses in, within a, a half an hour or so of Dublin. So plenty of them. <laughs> yes, it's um, my list is growing, as you could imagine. Um, but this is these are some great additions. I I definitely look forward to the opportunity when I'm able to travel again. This, this has been great. Thank you so much. Just so much for being with us, everybody. This is Tommy Kelly, founder and CEO of eShop World. Thanks so much for being with us today. Listen, thank you very much, Melissa, for having me on. It's been a real pleasure. Till next time.